0: Thursday was to be opening day at the K, but as you know, there is no baseball, no sports during the COVID-19 pandemic. But that doesn't mean we can't talk baseball, so Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy, star columnist Vahe Gregorian and me, Blair Kirkhoff talked Royals, lineups, new owner John Sherman, new manager Mike Matheny, and toward the end, we chatted about our favorite baseball movies. It started as a Facebook Live and is now presented as a Beat KC podcast. Hey, and here's a heads up before we get started. The first two and a half minutes or so, we were working out some bugs in the system, and you'll hear an echoey sound from me. Please don't bail on us. We were able to get it cleaned up quickly. So, here we go. As, as we do, we're going, we're going to, jump to jump in, in and talk, talk about, about what... what um, you know, what's, what's what's another in a series, series of, of kind of sad days of, of, of missing major, major sporting, sporting events. And, of course, this is this is, this always, is always a big day in Kansas City. City. It starts on the, on the home opener, whether it's, whether it's the first game, first game of, the of the season or the home, home opener. It starts with Greater Kansas City, Kansas City day, day with, with um, selling of newspapers and Royals, Royals flags on the streets of Kansas City. Kansas City. A, 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 a charitable enterprise raises money for for youth and, and youth, youth camps, camps. Yeah, and then, then that leads, leads into the first pitch. pitch. And it, it would have happened, happened today at 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock at Hoffman Stadium against, against the Seattle Mariners, and, and I think they, they would have gotten, gotten this one in. One looks, looks nice in nice. the, the temperatures in the mid-60s. We've, we've had, had some, some uh, we've some, uh, had a little bit of rain. I don't know about uh, where you guys live, out south where I am. We had a little bit of rain early this morning, but I think this would have been a perfect day for an ideal day, really, for an opening day at the K. Lynn and Vahe, you, you guys have been, been to opening, opening days, days before. I actually um, I've have only been, been to a couple in in, in my time, time at the Kansas City Star, simply because this time of year I am at the Final Four. And Vahe, you've spent so many, many years, years at the Final Four, four as well. As well. And, I and I believe this year the idea was, idea was, trying, was trying maybe to, to uh, uh, be here, here today and then get on a plane and go to Atlanta for the Final Four. I had a couple things set up, there.
1: One was I was going to see Ned Yost yesterday.
2: I had, a, had a, a plane, plane flight set up uh, to, to go to see his, his farm near Atlanta. Near Atlanta. Uh, one uh, one scenario, scenario coming back today, today to get getting back, back in time for the game.
1: game. Then, then another scenario, scenario to leave tomorrow um, to, go to go see go see, go see the, the Final, Final four. four. There, there are a lot of things in play. play. I, I think, think this, this is just like, like a lot of people. So instead, here we are, just home, as you said. And there's a little ache. I think there's a little extra ache on the day these events really happen. And I, and I think it's probably uh, something really something pronounced in Lynn just because uh, this is the day that
2: would start, start sort of this whole new phase of his
1: season, which really already began, began about two months, two months
2: ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in, in reality, reality, this would have, would have been, been the first time back, back in Kansas City for almost, for almost two months because the way, the way spring training, training set up, they would have gone to Milwaukee for a couple exhibition games, start the season in Chicago, and then went from Chicago to Detroit. And so I would have just got back from Detroit uh, last night at some point for the first time in a couple of months away from Kansas City, having gone through Arizona and spring training and everything. So, yeah, I would have been uh, back and driving to the K this morning or, yeah, probably depending on what time Clubhouse opened and um, getting ready to see some baseball fans in Kansas city for the first time in uh, <laughs> months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what would, I don't know how many games would they have played four or five by now?
2: Um, I want to say, was it six? Oh, was it was six. They, they, they would have played, I think three in Chicago and then three in uh, Detroit, but it was spread out. So that's why I want to say it was six. Cause it was, they would have opened last week. Um, maybe it was only five. Actually, now that I think they were, five. Maybe it was only five. Yeah, maybe it only yeah. be five because it's because that they spread it out so much. I think it was probably just five.
0: So, so five and zero, oh, uh, probably four and one at the worst. Coming home for for the home opener, I think uh, we all would have counted on a great start for the Royals. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, actually, they've gotten off to some pretty poor starts in the last few years. So, uh, anyway. Uh, it's not happening. And what are we missing by not having opening day at the K? Well, uh, one of the things that I always look forward to is uh, it's the press box is full that day. Everybody, heck, the star has I don't know half a dozen, seven, eight people out there in, in the press box. Um, you know, one of the th- I don't know why I thought of this, but one of the things I I always kind of look forward to is the the team and it does this every year they, they they introduce new menu items for the concession stands right and they actually have media come out and and uh, and uh, uh, t- sample these items about a week or so in advance and last year i can remember it was the the brisket uh, tater tot uh, special that was tater tots cheese brisket top of brisket in a stadium cup i mean i just thought that was Pretty darn cool. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, that, that's, you know, look, it, it's uh, it, it would have filled, you know, Kaufman would have been filled today. I know they were having some issues with ticket sales before, you know, the pandemic hit. And uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they would have gotten uh, close to thirty nine thousand out there at the K. And we were really looking forward to this season. Look, the, the prognostication for the Royals, n- not good. Coming off consecutive hundred lost seasons, but. There were some reasons to feel that this team was going to be, and still will be, a little bit better than the most previous editions. Um, you know, the, the, the health is is much better going into this season, and the lineup looks like, at least from a you know from one through nine batting order, look a little bit better than uh, certainly what we ended last season with. So, Lynn, take us through what what would what might we have expect, expected from a Royals lineup today?
2: Well. Danny Duffy probably would have lined up to be your uh, home opening uh, starter. Uh, Brad Keller most likely would have started opening day on the road, but Danny Duffy would have probably started the home opener, uh, which would have just added to the atmosphere. Because Duffy, obviously, uh, a longtime royal guy who came up through the system, a guy who just has an intensity about him on the mound. Um but I think lineup-wise, and I actually I went back to the last game that they didn't play in spring training, which was against the Mariners, um, and Mondesi was actually in the lineup that day. Again, since the game never got played, we never saw Mondesi play all spring training, but he was in the lineup that day. So just making some adjustments on that lineup that they put out that day, because that day they had uh, Gallagher catching. I'm almost, I, I would bet that Salvi would have been behind the plate. Salvi was in this lineup that day, except he was at DH, but... I, I'm, I'm guessing we would have had Merrifield either at second or center. I'm going to guess center. Mondesi, Dozier, Soler probably playing right. Dozier, I mean, Soler probably DH and Dozier in right. That day he was uh he was in the outfield, actually. But um, then they had Salvi Batten, uh, Was that, fifth. This lineup had Gordo, um, sixth. But I'm thinking at first base they probably would have, depending on the The um, pitcher, you might have had O'Hearn in there. So maybe Gordo even bumps down a spot. Um, Franco starting at third base. He's batting seventh, uh, excuse me. Um, And then depending on if you say Witt's going to be in center field, um, then you got uh, probably um, Nicky Lopez at second, probably batting ninth. So that's, I mean, compared to last year where you had, I mean, especially coming off of spring training where, um, you know, uh, O'Hearn and, for that matter, McBroom had really, you know, just hot spring training as far as swinging the bat. Um, there was times last year where that bottom third of the lineup was kind of shaky. <laughs> um, I mean, that's probably being nice saying shaky. Um, it, it looks like now, this this year, I mean, just based off a of track record, based off of spring training, I mean, you talk about Franco being in there, you talk about um, Nikki. you talk about either O'Hearn or McBroom. Um the, the lineup definitely lengthened, and then you talk Salvi being back in the catcher, so, I mean, it's, uh, it you probably got a, you know, a much more formidable lineup than what you would have saw a lot of times last season.
0: And as you said, look, Duffy, you know, kind of shaping up to to be the starter today for the home opener, assuming Brad Keller would have started the season opener. You can do things with your, you know, you can be, um, uh, make adjustments with your rotation early in the season with all the open days, and you know, every team does that. But yeah, I think they would have fixed it so that uh, Duffy would have started at home today. Um, look, w- when we talk about these Royals, it- it's like I-, I think we're all kind of in agreement that the lineup's OK. You know, they-, they can uh, they can win some games with that lineup. It's when you get to um, it's when you get to the mound that you start wondering where, um, you know, w- w- what needs to happen. And uh, they-, they wouldn't have needed a fifth starter for a few weeks. But if, if it came down to it and when they would need it, Lynn, who would, who do you think would have been the fifth
2: starter? Hmm. You know, that was still a question. Cause I'm not sure if they would have gone with like an opener type thing. The last time we talked to Mike Matheny about it, it was still, you know, part of the discussion is, you know, having that opener set up where you have somebody and then you go basically bullpen. Um, and then, you know, cause I think they were, they, they tried to move away from Jorge Lopez and Glenn Sparkman as fifth starters. They wanted those guys to be bullpen guys. And they both looked like they were going to be really good in those roles. Um, so then it becomes a matter of, you know, who's going to put who you're going to put in that fifth starter spot. Um, I don't think they would have gone with one of the guys from the minors. I mean, I know that's what everybody wants to, to say and wants to think. But I don't think that, you know, you would have saw Singer or a or Kowar or Lynch or Bubich until later in the season. Um, so I'm not entirely sure which way they would have gone with that. Or, but I think the opener was at least still a possibility.
0: OK, well, let's, you know, let's and let's talk about that, you know, scenario. If the season does start, you know, and, and we're, it's, it's obviously going to start later, but how much later and how that might affect the roster. But but before we do, this would have been the, the debut of Franco, as you said, uh, the, the probably the biggest offseason acquisition. Trevor Rosenthal, of course, in the bullpen and Greg Holland coming back. Um, uh, Rosenthal already on the 40 man roster. That's not the case with Holland just yet, the the roster freeze. Um, But also, this would have been the Kansas City debut of manager Mike Matheny and owner John Sherman. That, I don't know, I I can imagine both of those gentlemen were so looking forward to today. And Vahe, you had a chance to talk uh, extensively with John Sherman and wrote about it in today's Kansas City Star, and it's online on kansascity.com. I really enjoyed that piece. What kind of sense did you get from John about how, um, how much he was looking forward to being out there today.
1: Well, a- absolutely, Blair, he was, and and Lynn, I didn't see uh, John in person down at spring training. Uh, Sam Mellinger was down there with Lynn um, when John was there. He was there for about a week and then gone for a few days when I was there, and then he came back, but he really conveyed a lot of the excitement he felt, just starting with um, seeing, seeing Mike Matheny mm-hmm. kind of in action with, with his team and um, his new team, you know, connecting with them and uh, really made a point of talking about what it felt like looking around the room at how people were locked into what Mike said, Mike was saying. Uh, and I think he enjoyed seeing that, that sort of unfold uh, over time, too. And um, he, he also reiterated something Dayton Moore had told us uh, in, in a conference call earlier, that that feeling of looking out over the stadium with vendors and fans coming in at surprise stadium on the day baseball was shutting down, even as they were on a conference call with MLB. And I think, I think that's right now, his sort of prevailing image from there. But the reason I allude to that is also he's, he's in this sort of funny time in the sense of, okay, new ownership, new initiative, here we go, shut down, but also not a guy to, to waste time. And He's been so civically involved in Kansas City for so long. Um, I've actually thought, and I haven't had a chance to really talk sort of deep with him about this, but a, but a little bit, um, that the Royals are just another one of those civic endeavors. Obviously, it's different. It's his business now. But I think it it is a sort of synergy to that that has him really invested in what he can do for the community now. And I, the Royals have mentioned a number of different initiatives and, I think uh, there's probably other sorts of things to come, and there's still other things to be figured out. Um, but but I, I like his state of mind, and I, I like his message to Kansas City that uh, he cares about what he called the psyche of the city through sports.
0: Well, and speaking of those measures, how about uh, just this week? The Royals announced uh, was it um, 500,000 meals to harvesters? What what a what a Fantastic gesture by the Royals. All the teams in Kansas that you're doing, it's just the Royals are sort of on in the spotlight this week because of the the opening week of the baseball season. But yeah, that was uh, that was part of the story too, wasn't it, Vahe?
1: Yeah, it, it was. And and I so I look, we're just getting to know John a little bit, but I I, I really like what I've seen so far in terms of um, his impression of this role. It's a little different than Mr. Glass, who, who you know lived in. Arkansas, and that that sort of sets it up differently, I think we're gonna see what pure local ownership really means in in the months and years ahead. And I think the the impact of that will be its own thing. And I'm not trying to diminish Mr. Glass. I mean, certainly you could have um, critical points made about him, but obviously a lot of wonderful points to be made about him, but it is just different having this. And what's interesting, and Blair, I think we've talked about it, maybe Lynn, you and I have too, with Clark Hunt living in Texas, again, it's not like he's absentee, but he doesn't live here. Um, and with Mr. Glass having lived in Arkansas, this is the first owner local ownership of one of these two, two franchises since Ewing Kaufman. Um, obviously, Sporting KC has that in 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 a you know spectacular fashion, and that's right. that's made a big impact on the community that that's there. So I think there's all kinds of interesting possibilities to to that, um, that we'll explore going forward. But I just think it's, I think it's good for the city at a time like this.
0: Hey, and Vahe, um, you and Sam Mellinger and I, a couple of weeks ago, spoke to, uh, spoke about Mike Matheny. And that's a, uh, <laughs> we actually taped it for a podcast that hasn't run yet. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, uh, and it will at some point, but I wanted to kind of revisit that as well. And, um, uh, I just remember some of the some of the points you were conveying to me were just uh, a little bit of a I don't know what you what the expectations were for you, for Sam, for for you, Lynn, too anybody who was familiar with Mike Mm -hmm. before coming to the Royals organization last year. But look, he didn't. um, He started out great in St. Louis. It didn't end well for him there. He lost his job at midseason. And then he heard the stories about why it happened, uh, why it unfolded for him the way that it did there. Um, but talk about making a good first impression. I I gotta, you know, to me with, with position battles sort of on, on, you know, not existent in spring training, I was sort of, my focus was, it was tuned to Mike Matheny and what players were saying about him and what, uh, what was being written about him. And I'll tell you what, I hadn't played a game yet, but I've, I've really, I've really been encouraged in what I've heard about, uh, Mike Matheny.
1: Well, I'll jump in real quick and then d- defer to Lynn, but I, I felt very much that way, Blair. Uh, I was really impressed with his energy. I was impressed with um, the, just little things like his uh, sort of perpetual motion being out there among players. You know, one of the things we heard uh, as a point of criticism of him was perhaps uh, questions about his ability to relate to or, or <laughs> nurture younger players. Um, if anything, my observations were the opposite, maybe it's because it's something he worked on, or maybe, you know, there's still a lot to be understood about how that unfolded in St. Louis. Um, but he spent a lot of the off season, not only calling some of these guys, but going to visit a lot of them. Uh, so I thought that was pretty impressive and just in the sort of conduit in in the minor point and yet bigger point of the media conduit, I think he's been, I I found it to be terrific. And. Full of insight, uh, very responsive, very respectful, listening to questions and, and really considering them. I had a, a quite an interesting conversation with him on the phone the other day that I'll be writing in the next couple of days. That, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to writing because I just thought he was so interesting.
2: Yeah, I'd say, you know, just from when you get a new guy coming in and you want to try and figure out what you're supposed to expect. So, you know, whether it was in the offseason before he was hired or just even – Leading up to spring training, the time that we either spent around him or got to talk to other people. I mean, like I remember Matt Holiday, who was with him in St. Louis. I talked to him at one point in the off season, and he just raved about the tax, the type of person that he was um the type of mentor that he was. And then when you hear guys like Trevor Rosenthal, who, you know, had a previous relationship with Matheny from the time in St. Louis. And and the same thing with um, you know, with a guy like Greg Holland, who who knew him before too. They both talked that that's the the sort of the common theme that I got from different people. Um, talked to the front office guys that, that ended up letting him go in St. Louis back in the GM meetings. And they it was a lot of the same sort of things. Um, so I mean I think it's still sort of weird because everybody, you know, looks at St. Louis and obviously they fired him. Um, but at the same time, the results were, you know, multiple trips to the playoffs, a World Series uh, trip and, you know, never even finished, you know, below 500 in the time there. Um, and so these questions that we had about how he's going to handle, you know, like the, the young guys um, we, from everything we saw that there wasn't, you know, and it's just spring training, but there was no problem with that at all. And, uh, and how much of that is him, how much of that is the organization? Because, you know, I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago where Nick Heath was talking about just how the veterans embraced a lot of these young guys. And uh, talking to Matheny for that story, Matheny, and I felt genuinely felt, um, sounded like he felt really happy about that. I mean, I didn't think he was just faking it. Like, we talked about how different it was from his day. And I think he genuinely felt happy about the way the Royals were doing things and how they were embracing these young guys, especially since... You know, you look at this club and there's a lot of young players who they feel like might not start the season there, but they're going to be there at some point And they're going to be there going forward when you think about the pitchers or if it's a young guy like Khalil Lee or, you know, just there's young guys that are coming that they're counting on. Um, and they felt like they were a part of this. And that was a big thing that the front office and Matheny and player development had talked about wanting to do. So um, it was interesting to see how it started off. It would have been more. you know, It will be more interesting to see how it develops as a season unfolds um, the first season, you know, of him being around. But as far as the media, the daily interaction with him, you know, I mean, we found him to be, you know, pleasant, you know, which, you know, from what we heard, <laughs> wasn't what we were expecting. We, we, we he felt, um, you know, insightful, pleasant, you know, um, expansive when it came to telling different stories, different things like that. Um, there wasn't anything that, you know, you, you asked where you felt like it was going to get, to be a combative situation, at least not that I can recall. So um, everything seemed to be on the up and up. Can
1: I interject something real quick here? I, I, when, when Lynn started saying that about Pleasant, I thought the, the transition point was going to be as opposed to Ned um, uh, instead of, you know, to what we might have expected of Mike. But I, I do want to say this about Ned because it, it, it was quite an interesting dynamic with Ned in the media. Ned could be pretty gruff and cranky, uh, certainly – just challenged even the blandest of statements. Um, but it became kind of part of this this sort of fascinating back and forth. and if you understood Ned's sense of humor, I think you could you could appreciate it. Um, but it is nice not having to fight through that thicket just to get a question out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Ned was uh, he was a very uh, unique dynamic with dealing with him on a daily basis, but i um, but I wouldn't, I mean, I can see why you would say that about the whole pleasant thing, but no, actually I, I liked the, the sort of the daily thing going on with Ned and just, um, at least from the beat writers, cause we had sort of separate time with him too. So, um, it was a little bit different with writers than necessarily people who were there just, you know, um, once every now and then or TV people. Um, so it was, it was a different dynamic. So the back and forth could be heated at times, but also it wasn't personal and then, you know, Um, And you got used to that. I mean, like, I I think both of you guys probably warned me about that before last season being my first season. So um, I sort of knew a little bit of it, but you don't really get the full grasp until you actually do it every day. (laughs) Um, But it was it was funny. I think it was in actually in Boston last year where I was asking Ned something where I knew he was going to get, you know, get his backup about it. Um, But so he starts you know hollering and and grumbling as he's giving the answer and both the other reporters one was filling in and um the other one was uh, was one of our, our you know local reporters were both sort of like wide eyed and we walked out of it and they looked at me and I said hey he answered the question i said it was a good answer i said i I have learned at least to just not pay attention to the tone just worry about the actual content
1: <laughs> the the joke i always made about ned was just just have to accept the first blow and then move forward. And usually the answer is pretty good, you know, just take the first shot and then, hey, that's a good answer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like there was there's more than one time where the tone was, you know, you're a, you're a dummy. <laughs> Why are you asking me this this dumb question? But the actual content of the answer is all that I worried about. <laughs> hey,
0: um, happy retirement to Ned. And I think at some point there'll be some big tribute for him at Kauffman stadium. I don't know how, in what form it'll take, but, uh, um, all he did was, uh, get the Royals to two world series and, a, and, and a world championship. And that is, uh, that was, that was an amazing time. Um, also Ned with the, I think the, the greatest winning postseason winning percentage of any manager for, what is it? 20 games or something like that. So anyway, uh, Good for Ned. Good for uh, good for Kevin Horton, who um, who's, who tells us to. There's only one major league baseball team in Missouri, and it's the St. Louis Cardinals. Kevin, 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 come on! Don't spoil the opening day vibe here in Kansas City. All right, all right. What, um, I, I don't know what Kevin means. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin is a big Cardinals fan. <laughs> big Cards fan. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. All right. So, hey, we have no idea um, when baseball is going to start. We have uh, the latest The the latest word from Major League Baseball was hopefully in June I think or you know spring training or some kind of training in mid May with the start of June I I don't I don't see how that's possible for for baseball now already there are you know majority of states with stay at home orders Uh, the city of Toronto uh, has a a kind of a a, sort of a stay at home order until June thirtieth. I just think that the you know as these weeks progress, we're going to see the the start date for baseball pushed back even further, and um, and I, I, re- I recall in 1995 when the um, uh, after the '94 strike season that did that uh, that stopped baseball, we didn't have a World Series that year, and then the strike continued into into '95, and and. Um, and it it started late and and baseball went back to like an abbreviated spring training before the season opened that year. I, obviously they're going to have to do something like that this year, but, um, Lynn, I know you you're on this every day. What's, what's the latest news on, on when and how baseball can, can get back up and running again?
2: Well, I should say about the Toronto thing just because um, I'm sure somebody will be running to their computer to do the clarification because I think they Toronto did put a clarification out that said that, like the the thing that was banned through June 30th I think was um, public events
0: and, and, and the city, city run events was, I think yeah, city, yeah
2: which in yeah. baseball isn't I mean obviously. yeah exactly and so they put a clarification out that said that doesn't that wouldn't necessarily prohibit something like as a baseball game um, of course that doesn't necessarily address whether that would have to be no fans, or you know, because that's that's something that's been discussed too. Um, Major League Baseball's last—I mean, the commissioner spoke just last week, and he was still talking about potentially, you know. Um, late May, early June as something that he just said was sort of the optimistic approach. I mean, because think with the once the CDC put out no gatherings of, you know, 50 people and um, don't be um, uh, no events of, with more than 50 people and no, don't want you to gather in groups of more than 10 um, through, you know, eight weeks that puts you right there, at least into the middle of May. So the middle of May is the earliest that you can even think about doing anything, really, Um, and I think there's probably going to need to be two to three weeks, maybe, I don't know if they'd go as many as four weeks, as far as the spring training to get guys back into, um, you know, ready to, to play ball. Um, so, I mean, even if you, if you could start that in mid may, then June would be the earliest, you know, if you only gave them two weeks, probably gotta give them three. So you're talking probably a week or so into June before you could even start thinking about it. And I don't know if there's. Really going to be places to be able to do that in terms of cities where you could do this. I mean, and you also have to factor in that some of these cities or a lot of these cities are on different, um, you know, different, uh, different orders. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and also just the the virus is spreading differently in different places. I mean there's two baseball teams in New York city and I don't know how they're going to play games at those ballparks anytime soon. So, um, I think the, you know, and then just, just yesterday, you know, the, the lead uh, official over at KU med talked about, and this wasn't based off of anything necessarily scientific, just his opinion as, as a regional health expert, um, that June might be too optimistic for playing games at the K that you might be looking at late, late summer.
0: Wow. And then there's all sorts of questions after that as how, how, how long a season would, would be. How many games need to be played for it to be a season? Uh, what would the postseason look like? Are we talking about an expanded postseason structure, expanded rosters? I think we've already gotten a clue on that. That talking about 29-man rosters for when baseball returns. Are we looking at neutral site postseason games if if the season stretches into November and you know, say the Twins and the Cubs and teams in uh, the Rockies and very cold weather climates are you know are successful and are in the postseason. Um, there's just so many unknowns. Uh, what, what is how, how many how many games need to be played for it to be a, a championship season? Is it a hundred? Is it is it eighty-one? What 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 are we looking at? What what's logical? Just from my standpoint, real quick, I
1: I, I, I like the idea of eighty-one, Blair i i i feel like
0: half a a season
1: yeah and and but i i feel like the really interesting question does start to become let's say it's late july Uh, what do you do with that i mean are are there going to be multiple doubleheaders? how do you how do you engineer it in such a way that that the baseline regular season is valid to even create a postseason i think that's probably a different number for everybody i mean part of the whole point of uh 162 game schedule is the slog, right? Knowing right. that that's that's how you get through it. So, obviously, it's going to be tweaked kind of quite a lot, if not completely overhauled. Um, I don't. The question I would ask is, if it gets to be August, what do you do then? Do you, do you just create some kind of round robin model tournament? I mean, what? Right. A, a, and I, it, it sounds silly almost to talk about that now. There's still a lot of time between now and then. And yet, um, probably if they're not talking about what model it would be when you get down to that kind of
2: time frame, then they're being negligent. Well, I think they're probably having those discussions just we're not privy to as far right. as the different, you know. Um, but it is it is interesting, you know, to think about, um, like you say, the, the slog of the season. I think it becomes a different slog, though. You know, still not not the same grind. But I mean, when you start talking about double headers on a regular basis, and I mean, are you, you know, there's teams that got guys. I mean, like for the Royals, is Alex Gordon trotting out there for two games of a double header every week? I don't think so. So then you have to start using your roster differently and planning on, you know, um, also you're pitching differently. If you got double headers that are built into the schedule, so that means you know that's two starters that are going to be on the same day every. Every time through the rotation. So that's extra pitching that you have to use there, whether that means openers, whether that means young guys that you got to dip into to be able to um, fill out, uh, you know, a rotation on a regular basis. Expanded for rosters. You know? Yeah, exactly. And just but, but just even like, you know, so I mean, like we're talking a couple minutes ago about who's the fifth starter for the Royals. Well, when you get into <laughs> doubleheaders, so who are those extra guys who are going to be pitching there? And how how's that working for you? Um, so, I mean, it's a diff- very different slog. It's, um, it would be interesting to see how that plays out because it's, it's not the traditional, you know, grind of the season, but it becomes very different in terms of the taxing that it puts on a roster and how you have to use guys and how you have to adjust for that. Um, I also wonder, and it's not necessarily a big thing for baseball fans who just worry about the game on the field, but when they start talking about potentially pushing things back. So what does that mean logistically for some of the offseason stuff like the, um, you know, whether it's the winter meetings? Because I mean, if you're, you know, usually season ends by the end of October. You've got GM meetings and owners meetings in November and you don't get to the winter meetings until December. Almost, you know, two, a month and a half, almost two months removed from actual baseball games. And so now, you know, thinking about the season that comes after that, where does all that stuff fall? It's just in my mind logistically is, you know, just the baseball calendar gets sort of just really you know um thrown out of whack
0: yeah and uh and this is just the competitive 2020 season we're not you know how it how would it would impact 2021 and and the and the draft this year i think is what are we talking about a five round draft for for this year that's already been pushed back to july and, and perhaps a 20 round draft in 2021 we'll get into that on another show as we get closer to to that but that, that, look, that's that has that's going to have a big impact on um, on, on baseball and and uh, and 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 the Royals. The one thing I did see, just from an analytics standpoint, that uh, that the, the fewer the fewer games that are played, the the greater the chances for a team that's not expected to do well has to make the playoffs. Just you just do the math. You know, uh, I, I think there's for for a team like the Royals coming off the consecutive hundred loss seasons. Well, if they play 100 games they're not gonna lose hundred um, and <laughs> uh, and I've, the Royals have had seasons in the past where they haven't played well but they've had a couple of good months really good months and who knows what could happen in a 81 or 100 game season if you just you know you have a couple of you know you get a couple of good good, good string together a couple of good months you can put together a a, a good season
1: well I, I don't know I well it's to your point, Blair, something really I, I've been thinking about this, and I, I, there's no one answer. But what is the optimal place for athletes, for baseball players specifically, to be keeping themselves right now for the best possible chance to really spring into action when this happens? Um, because a, as you noted, you can have a good couple months. Sometimes uh, they're they're too late, but what if uh, you didn't go five and seventeen with uh, a bunch of losses in, in, in games that you were leading in the first month? And you know, it really the compressing of it certainly could play to the Roy- Royals' favor. Um, and it's weird; it almost feels crass talking about that right now. But it, you know, they they still may play the game, so why not think about it? But I think whoever's most poised to come out of the gates. Obviously, with fewer games, that will have more resonance and more impact on what their season does.
2: Yeah, and the Royals, I mean, in, in the last uh, few years, the second half's have been much better than the first half for them. And I mean, you know, and obviously, you know, the first half is, you know, I mean, it's not as though you're cutting out the first half, but maybe in a certain way you almost are where, you know, you just got that late part of the season, but you didn't play the games in the first part of the season. So I don't know if that really mm-hmm. translates that way. But, you know, in that shorter burst of time, if you catch lightning in the bottle or guys get hot, then, you know, a hot stretch doesn't have to last as long when the season is, you know, condensed to a couple of months to, to really change where you're at in the standings or to put you in contention. Um, just because, you know, the, the season just is, is going to be really more of a sprint than the marathon that we're used to.
0: All right, guys, we're about to- about 90 minutes away or so from what would have been the first pitch. It's um, the weather's holding up. Looks like it'd been a per- perfect day for baseball. <laughs> so no baseball at the stadiums, no baseball on TV, except there are some replays going on. I think Major League Baseball today is rerunning a uh, the George Brett game in the 1985 ALCS against the the Toronto Blue Jays when George just basically turned around the series by himself. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to ask you guys this, and we'll we'll sort of wind it down with this topic I think I think baseball has been portrayed portrayed in Hollywood better than any other sport. There certainly are more baseball movies than any other sport aren't there um, I want to know what some of your favorites are I've got my short list but um, uh, but I want to know what, what yours are and anybody out there let us know what, what your favorite baseball movies are I've got my um, my desktop over to my right I've been checking periodically let us know your favorite baseball movies. Um, and I'll tell you whether you're right or wrong on that. Uh, but, <laughs> all right, Vahe, start with you. What do, what do you got for a short list of uh, of great baseball movies?
1: Well, certainly Field of Dreams comes up right away for me, uh, uh, as well as The Natural. You know, I, I wasn't a very good hitter in high school baseball, but I thought I could field okay, so I called my glove Wonder Boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> true story. Um, <laughs> Did you draw a lightning bolt in it? <laughs> can't remember that part. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I think those two really jump out at me. Um, and, and uh, it, yeah, I don't need to clog it up any more than that just now, but those are the ones that, that come right to mind.
0: Wonder, Wonder, Wonder Boy the glove. I like, I like that. All right, Lynn, what do you got?
2: You know, I, I, a lot of times when you see this on Twitter, the list of the top baseball movies, I try to stay away from that just because I don't, like to pick a, a one just because I like a lot so many of them, whether it's, you know, uh, the Sandlot or even the Moneyball, which uh, came out, you know, a few years back and I think was a, a, a Oscar candidate. and um, But for me, it always comes back to Major League just because <laughs> it was a great movie. But also, I remember the first time I saw it, I was probably a little younger than I might, maybe should have been, but um I think I was with my brother who is five years older, and we were at a friend's house, and, um, they were watching the movie and I didn't know what the heck it was. So I sat down with them and watched it. And it was in the period of time when I played a lot of like, little league baseball and where during in the summer, you know, the whole summer was basically riding bikes, going to the ballpark and then waiting for the little league games. Like, you know, in terms of like, we go to play during the day and then wait for when your little league game was in the evenings on whatever days of the week that you played. So. Um, I think the the fact that I associate it with sort of that time period in my life is probably a part of it. But um, I also just think it's a really great movie. So. I'm surprised you're not wearing your Joe Boo t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I've got a couple a couple of baseball t-shirts, this one included. But yeah, i got to switch it up. <laughs>
0: I've got a few. I, um, uh, I, I think... Uh, Seems like Bull Durham is in everybody's top four or five yeah. of, of baseball movies. It's, it's got a special connection to me the 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 field where that or the stadium where that game was filmed. I, I played games there, uh, American Legion baseball games at the old Durham Athletic Park. So I, that always I always enjoy watching that movie for that reason. Plus, it's a terrific movie. Um, I've got three kids, and when they were younger, there were movies like Angels in the Outfield, the remake with Christ- Christopher Lloyd. Uh, Rookie of the Year, Sandlot, some of the ones I, I, I enjoyed watching those with the kids. They all like those movies as well. Um, and then from the black and white division, um, mm-hmm. Fear, Fear Strikes Out, the Jimmy Pearsall story. You don't see that often on the, you know, on the movie channel or anything. But just a sort of a, you know, a, a movie that dealt with mental b- baseball and mental health. You know, that was filmed in the whether late fifties or early sixties. I thought was really kind of ahead of its time.
1: Blair, what about uh Son of Flubber? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was around that time from the, the black and white era. It was um,
0: Disney, a very a very Disney movie. Yeah.
1: But you know, speaking of that that era, it, a more modern movie about that era, but I, I I just did a quick scan and I'm embarrassed I didn't even think about 42 was wonderful. Oh, yeah. It was really well done, and and I'm sure there were some liberties in there, but Unlike many movies that uh, are based on true stories, my recollection was really looking up a lot of the stuff from that movie and feeling like it—it it is um, really as spot on as a movie like that can be, which I think was important.
0: And it premiered we, here, did it not?
1: It—it it was one of the premieres was here. It was right, I think. Gosh, uh, I was just getting here or just about to get here, and, and uh, didn't Harrison Ford come into town for the uh, – yeah. the, did they do it at the Negro Leagues Museum? I can't remember. What, or the gem. Maybe they did it at the gem theater.
0: I think you're right. Hmm.
2: That was another movie that came to mind, too. If you hadn't mentioned it again, I was going to make sure I brought that one up just because of, obviously, just um, an important period in the game, change in the game, a figure in the game, um, and just – I mean, and as far as the movie, you talked about how authentic it was. I mean, just the <laughs> fact that it could, it it also made you feel uncomfortable at times, which, um, you know, for a movie to be able to do that, um, I think is powerful just because of, you know, um, the the subject content. But also just the, the fact that they could have, at least for me, sitting in the chair had sort of that reaction where you were like, Ew. but um, it was important that we had that.
0: Hey, for sure. Lisa... For Lisa Atkins, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, responding. For the love of the game, good movie. Bull Durham, Sandlot, and The Rookie. I saw The Rookie was uh, on ESPN just this past weekend. That was fun to see. Thirty-seven year old rookie um, throwing a ninety-eight mile an hour fastball based based on a true story. Based on a true story. And I'll give you a sleeper pick just to go out on not well known. But it's basically the movie that Bull Durham was uh, based on. It's called Long Gone. Mm. You probably haven't heard of it. It was an HBO-only movie. If you can find it, it's worth search. Long Gone. Virginia Madsen is in it. <laughs> there, there's some Henry Gibson. It's, it's an eclectic cast. But uh, I'm, I'm sure if you enjoyed movies about underdog teams, and uh, you will enjoy the movie Long Gone. So, all right, guys. Well, that'll do it for our... Um, our first Royals Facebook Live of the season. I hope there are more. I hope we get to talk about live baseball at some point this year. I wanted to thank Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for hanging out with us. Beth Welsh um, does a remarkable job producing these things. Neil Nakahoto was very valuable today in helping put together today's show. So until we meet again, um, take care. And hope. I I now have a cat on the table so So long you guys well that'll do it for today big thanks to our production team of Derek Donovan Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh Neil Nakahodo, Jeff Rosen and Chris Fickett today's tip of the cap goes to Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for making time to talk baseball links to royal stories can be found in the show notes on Kansas city.com and in the Kansas City Star where you get the best coverage of regional news and sports. I told you earlier how to get a sports pass subscription. Well for a digital subscription for all of the Kansas City Star coverage, go to account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. We'll be back on Friday on sports bkc where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.